Hey, everybody. Uh, so in this conversation on the podcast, I'm speaking with Joaquim Stroh. I met Joaquim through a guest I had on season one and a friend of mine, Christina Bowen. And she essentially is an avid listener of the podcast and said, I have to speak with Joaquim. And so uh, Joaquim and I had a pre-call conversation and I immediately felt in my bones that this was somebody that I wanted to have on the show. And you can hear a lot of the themes that we've explored with folks like Jordan Greenhall and Bonita Roy sort of weaving through this conversation conversation with Joaquim. And, um, you know, it, it's about uh, the potential of true connection, of creating what we sometimes refer to as we spaces or true intersubjectivity in digital spaces. And what that means for us as individuals and workers and uh, participants in the online world. And moreover, how it might be that something like what Jordan Greenhall calls a self-organizing collective intelligence can begin to form even now as we participate in these emerging digital spaces. And so it's a bit of a geeky conversation, but I think it's well worth your time to listen to kind of get a sense for the trajectory that we're on with the technologies that are being built now. Like, where is this going? And furthermore, how do we uh, position ourselves to take advantage and to play a part in this emerging world. And so I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joaquim. I know I enjoyed having it. He's a wonderful conversation partner. And um, before we start the show, as always, there are two major ways that you can support the show. Uh, one is by becoming a supporter, a supporting listener. Uh, and you can do that by clicking on the link in the show notes or by going to anchor.fm slash emerge. Uh, the other way you can support the show is by leaving a review on iTunes. Those reviews really do make a significant difference for the algorithm uh, choosing to share these conversations with more people who aren't, for whatever reason, connected with the podcast. Okay, please enjoy this episode of Emerge with Joaquim Stroh. Welcome to another episode of Emerge. This time on the show, I'm happy to welcome Joachim Stroh. Joachim, welcome to Emerge. Thank you for the invitation, Daniel. Glad to be here. Great. And, and so I first encountered you, Joachim, in, in the context, actually, of the conversation community on Google+, maybe, I think, six years ago now. Oh, um, my goodness. Right. Yeah, yeah, which was a community put together, I believe, by John Keldon who we have yes. as a connection in common. And then more recently, I encountered your work through our mutual friend, Christina Bowen, who was a guest of this show on season one. She kind of uh, is very good at connecting people. And I, I, you know, she implored me like I, that, to get to know you and your work. And so through her um, and in a previous conversation with you, I began to explore the work you're doing now with the social ledger which we'll talk about later on in the conversation. And, and so I see you as somebody who both is and I think more interestingly has been on the frontier of figuring out how to use technology to establish the, a kind of like meaningful collaboration as well as a sort of collective sense-making. 
And so we'll get into all of that. And this has lots of parallels with other conversations we've had on the show, like Max Borders and social technology and uh, Holochain. And, and all of these kinds of pieces are, are, are mixed together, I think, in the directions that I think we could uh, bring this conversation. But before we kind of geek out together about what you're working on now, I, I'd, I'd like to start with just asking you to share a little bit about your journey to how you got here today. So let's start a little bit in the past and, and work work to now. And how did you how did you get into this strange field of I don't even know what you call it, but maybe digital collaboration? <laughs> right. Thank you, Daniel. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a strange journey. Um, I mean, I see myself as always trying to bridge some of these gaps that are out there. Now, I come from a computer science background. I studied at a technical university in Berlin, um, and uh, wanted to bridge, you know, that kind of theoretical background with something much more applied and much more applied in the business context too. So what I did after uh, University of Berlin, I, I uh, went to New York and did a two-year program there at NYU and wanted to just get to know how the other side looks like, right? So the practical applied uh, side of uh, running a business, of understanding what the different functions are of the business, you know, all of this stuff that you don't get to know in a traditional education in, in Germany, right? So I came with a huge backpack of all of this theoretical knowledge about computer science and databases and structured programming, but then uh, jumped into the world of, oh, wow, this is a business context. How do you apply this stuff? Mm. Um, so after I graduated from, from uh, NYU, um, I got a job uh, in an HR consulting company. Um, and landed in a, in a department called knowledge management. Um, so that's an interesting department because knowledge management is also trying to sort of look across the organization. You know, it's one of these groups that is not so much siloed into a particular domain or a function, right, like finance or HR, but knowledge management always has to look across the organization, right? So what are the people out there doing? You know, where are the pockets of knowledge and how do you connect them, right? To your original theme here of, um, hey, you got to know John Kelton from the conversation community and there's, there's uh, uh, Christina Bowen over there, all of these connections. So my, my idea was, okay, how do we build some of these connections inside organizations? Um, and that was early days. So that was early days of uh, social networking. That was early days of bringing some of this connectivity inside an organization, right? So how can you build a social network mm -hmm. inside an organization? Not the stuff that's out there, but inside, right? Nice. And and I don't want to I don't want to force yourself to date yourself, but uh, what what time period <laughs> are we talking about? Because I think you know there there is a very interesting parallel here between the evolution of your work and the evolution of the technology space in general. So what, what kind of, can you place us in, in time here too? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I can <laughs> let your readers know. So it's, uh, it's, uh, we talk about the beginning nineties and mid nineties, uh, coming to New York and then, um, uh, starting to work for this HR consulting company. Um, so at that time, you know, what was very interesting, there was a movement called enterprise 2.0. Um, I don't know if you heard about that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, uh, Andy, Andrew McAfee, um, who said, um, hey, why don't we bring some of these social technologies into organizations, right? I think we're at a point now where that stuff matures enough so we can actually try to build these networks and try to have more common conversations across um, the places you work, right? Um, and at that time, I created, um, that was um, a little later when I left the HR consulting company, I started another group called Change Agents Worldwide uh, with uh, Susan Skrupski. 
um, and a few others who um, thought, okay, why don't we try to change the way of working, right? Why don't we make it more social, meaning more connective, um, engaging more people on a, on a direct people-to-people, -people, you know, person-to-person -person level. Um, and that was a fascinating jump from um, more of a structured corporate environment, right, where you have your function, you sit in your position, you have your box, right, that's created for you, your little cubicle. Mm. And then you break out of this and say, hey, let's look and look look on a much broader view, you know, across uh, the, these, the, all these cubicles. What can you do to connect people and to engage them in more open, direct, transparent conversations, right? Mm. Mm. So, yeah, that, that was the jump. And, and to me, it was... Uh, sort of a parallel to what was happening on the internet too, right? So we got Web 2.0, we got more user-friendly ways of uh, using these technologies inside and and increasingly also outside the organization. Um, but still, you know, have a big firewall between the two, of course. You know, there's always very restrictive thinking of, no, we can't really reach out to these other folks. You know, mm -hmm. it has to be approved and uh, you have these managers in between and so forth. Um, but uh, we took a few steps at that time and it was pretty exciting to see... Uh, uh, these new technologies, social technologies inside organization, uh, in, inside organizations sprouting up. And what, what were some of the technologies that you were making use of at that time uh, to kind of realize this? Oh, yeah, that was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lotus Notes. Yeah. Um, so um, that was uh, sort of the first groupware type of technology where you could actually open up a small communication space inside an organization, invite people to that, you know, sort of bring a team together and then start having uh, these free for all, you know, direct conversations without, you know, any supervision, right? So create these spaces, make it topic based so the management would approve that. And uh, then you can go ahead and do what you want to do in these spaces. So, so very experimental and uh, very new technology at that time. And uh, was was a lot of fun to to play with. Nice, that. yes. And just to just to place this for folks, you know, I grew up with with computers. My dad was kind of like a, a very original nerd, you know, using uh, cards in big computers, uh, which I've only seen pictures of, of course. But, uh, uh, you know, he, I grew up with a with a a desktop and a connection to the internet from almost as early as I can remember. I was born in 1987. And, uh, you know, so a lot of this was before I really became conscious of the internet. I really became conscious on the internet just before the start of what I think is called Web 2.0 in general. Yeah. And so that is that kind of then the next phase is, is moving into more proper web 2.0 play, place us in the next the next movement right right so so for me um the journey continued in you know now we have these social collaboration tools um and uh, we brought them into organizations but still you know there was this hesitancy right of um they are there they are used and but not really used right um and uh, what happened a lot at that time was um you could create these communities inside organizations, right? So spaces where employees can go and start freeform topics um, and um, and hang out with other colleagues and to do something in the community spaces. But it wasn't really the kind of conversation we wanted to start across the organization, where you could directly reach into, you know, not even looking at the levels and your managers and at your at your uh, leadership anymore, but you know, involve them in 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 conversations across the organization. Um, There's this friend of mine, Ewan Semple, um, who worked for the BBC in London, and he said, why don't we open up these channels and give every employee uh, a blog, 
at that time, mm. right? And have them talk about what they think are their issues and their concerns, right? Once you do that, uh, let's just listen to all of these conversations and see what comes out of this, yeah. right? So, of course, bold vision and, and bold uh, thing that got uh, pretty much, you know, suppressed and uh, put back into the box, mm. right? So <laughs> now we're back into, oh, a lot of control happening in this space. Mm. But so for me, the journey continued to say, hey, so these conversations are really the work, right? So the conversation is the work, David White, mm -hmm. right? Um, focus on that and see what can you do further with that. And this is when I got to know John Kelton with the conversation community um, and said, okay, there are these interesting meta conversations happening. So conversations about conversations mm -hmm. and uh, ways to see how they can impress and how they can uh, sort of induct further conversation, right? He calls it going into these generative sequences or tea house sequences as he called them so one thing leads to another sort of energizes another thing and that gets into a whole you know movement a whole wave of conversations um and that i found fascinating so for me the move was practically was from social collaboration technologies to sort of social cognition mm. um so this opens up a whole different universe of how do you relate to people, right? How do you get the sense of they are there, they're present in online spaces, um, and uh, what's their current level of uh, involvement, right? How deeply are they immersed in this space? Um, and, and that led me down another, you know, whole deep path uh, with uh, Ron Scroggin from Chicago, he's a musician, um, and John to open up something called uh, Sinio's Knowledge Expeditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just to and, and just to kind of spend a little bit of time here, um, my sense is that while you were you you were practicing this mode of connecting on the internet through the conversation community, and I imagine other spaces too, but that you were like you are all consider yourselves, I think, in that time practitioners, right? And you were doing this, you know, thing that at least I think still today is is quite an uncommon use of digital technology connecting in this kind of way. And so what, uh, it, it, like, you were you engaging in lots of conversations in the community, mostly over video, I think, right? That was the kind of medium or uh, describe that a little. Oh, that was still pre. Yeah, that was still pre-video. Um, at that time, you know, first video technologies came up and uh, kind of cranky, right, and kind of uh, not good enough. So, it was mostly the uh, conversations in these chat spaces, mm. so textual conversations, right. But the funny thing is, uh, and then we experimented with that further uh, to say. These, these they, they have a meaning, right? So there's there's a there's a there's, there's an energy in these conversations. Can we take that energy out and project it to some other space, mm. right? And and what we did then was uh, we used a met metaphor. Um, I, I love metaphors, you know, for for explaining things and putting things into context. So we we used the metaphor of uh, going on an expedition, and we said, okay, where can we go? What's a good place to go on an expedition? And then we said, okay, that could be Mount Everest, right? Classic track, you go to base camp at Mount Everest, right? So you meet a group of people at base camp and uh, you check your gear, you know, make sure everybody is present. And then over the course of a few days, um, you climb up Mount Everest, right? You go to camp one, camp two, camp three. Um, and the funny thing is you can actually project that onto these online conversation streams. Um, so you can take, you know, one of these streams and say, let's go on a journey, right? Let's go on an expedition. And the moment you do that, um, you feel like 
you are in a different context. You say, okay, expedition, and your brain sort of adjusts to that. Okay, we're in an expedition now. Um, what do I need to do next? You know, make sure my partners are around, right? Make sure I get to know everyone. We're we're having our, our gear ready, right? So one thing sort of leads to another. And out of this came a whole notion of creating these what we call knowledge expeditions mm. later. So so taking a group of people, you know, four or five people on a on a day long or on a you know, even shorter, like an hour or two long expedition to some destination and showing them, you know, immersing them into a, a deeper story. So so later we added some visuals and some sound effects. So so that it really made you you present and you feel like you you're there with with the other people. Um, and we built that out and and had some great experiences from you know just people feeling so present in these spaces and uh, and uh, we coined that later uh, as a term called social feel mm. so it's, it's it's almost something tangible right so you can feel you're present like two of us here now you know talking um on on this line but imagine now we're sitting together at a campfire with three other people and we have a chat conversation and there's some sound effects in the background and you're suddenly there. Mm. So your brain, your brain switches to another mode where it can completely, you know, convince it that yes, you are an expedition. And uh, that is a fascinating aspect of these knowledge expeditions, right? That people, you know, take also take later on, take, take out of the expedition when they come back to see their friends and say, what did you do today? Well, I went to Mount Everest. Um, we went to Camp One today. There was an avalanche, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you could even talk about it. It creates, it creates real memories. Uh, you know, Ron, Ron Scroggen likes to talk about these, 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 the, the difference between what's real, what's virtual in these spaces, right? I mean, we, we coined it uh, virtual real spaces. Mm. So because it really fades the line between what, what is a memory that's created in your brain, you there being present with other people, and then um, the notion of this is not really happening, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, yeah. And I mean, even just yeah. in hearing you say that, it's like, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I've, I've grown up with the internet uh, to a large degree. I can remember a time before it was really a presence in our world, but how little of the time I've spent on the internet has actually produced what I would refer to as memories, right? Like actual memories that I would yes. go back to and think like, oh, wow, that was a really pleasant time that I spent. Yeah. Very good point, Daniel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you think about that. And you can see this in social media too today, right? That stuff is also on the surface, right? Um, what you do there is uh, you look at, at things like, uh, you know, selfies, emojis, you form some quick opinions there, and a lot of content marketing. Nothing goes really deeper into an, an emotional level, a state where you immerse yourself into a story or something that creates a memory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so you were conducting these knowledge expeditions, which I think is a metaphor that you're carrying forward. Um, and what, I guess, it, I mean, there's so many, so many different directions we could go just from there, but let, let's wrap up, let's wrap up your kind of recent history. So what was the next step after CNIS and the knowledge expeditions? <laughs> um, so that's, that's still running. And, um, what I did, um, I like the notion of uh, collectives, so of people coming together with a common goal, um, common purpose, and uh, do something, co-creating something. <clears throat> um, I'm a big fan of uh, Working Out Loud, a friend of mine, John Stepper, uh, who has uh, sort of revamped that term and introduces it now in a lot of organizations, especially in Germany, it picked up a lot. So Working Out Loud is uh, the notion of 
you you are doing something you want to share what you're currently doing with others right so it couldn't be going as far as you know i'm creating a new visual for for some concept uh, in in a space and i'm showing people actually how i put together that visual step by step so this goes to through certain iterations, right? And you show these iterations. You say, I'm here now. Um, if you want to jump in, give me some comments, some feedback, feel free to do though. I have an open door mm -hmm. here, right? And you can, if you want to, you can just learn and look how I create these visuals, how they change over time, right? How I learn from uh, the feedback I get from the people who participate in yeah. this. Um, so that, that to me was really a fascinating aspect of this, this participatory space where um, you begin to not work on your own, right? I mean, you, you create, you have your skill sets and um, you, you have, um, you know, the things, the tool sets that you get used to. But uh, what's, what's really missing is, is something that you now co-create or do together with others, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so, so this space of, it's not me, it's, hey, we're in a we space here, right? Where in order to actually move us forward, um, we need to align ourselves. We need to understand ourselves. We need to make sense of what we do and help each other out nice. here. We're in this together, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what, what's coming to my mind too is this um, this book, I think it's by Sherry Turkle, uh, Alone Together, around how yes, right. technology has this tendency, at least how it's been formulated and used so far, to kind of isolate us in our own little worlds of subjectivities. And we kind of like play at connection. It's almost like a facsimile of connection. But what you're speaking about is instead creating, and even with the working out loud thing, it's like creating social objects. And I learned this term from you. I don't want to take it from you, but I've been using it all the time. <laughs> you know, Creating things, whether it's a, a tweet or a document that then actually become lightning rods for more meaningful connection. And, and you know, I've been, I think, you know, uh, I don't want to act as if or speak as if, you know, the kinds of uh, flows of information and connection that happen on social media these days isn't uh, interesting and useful. But for me, I found it, it is useful mostly in the way that it then, uh, enables deeper connection in other spaces, right? As a kind of attractor field for different forms of participation. And it sounds like you've been exploring this for a long time, right? And and uh, I'm curious to hear from you, Joachim, uh, maybe just, because I, 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 get, I get glimpses of it in what you're saying around connecting different spaces and all that. But like, what, what is, if, if you are willing to share, like what is motivating you in this inquiry as you've been unfolding it across both the evolution of technology and your own life? That, that's such an interesting question, Daniel. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, so, so what happened um, with, with, with the expeditions and, uh, the, the social fields we created, um, it suddenly occurred to me that, um, it doesn't make sense to work on your own, alone by yourself. Um, that gives you a certain drift, that gives you a certain, you know, way of progressing, but there's something missing. And the moment I started to, you know, build this, this field with others, I have this, this, this sort of, it's almost like a tangible energy that you create there. It lifts you up. And it gets you to a certain state. Um, you know, there, there, there are different ways of describing this. There's flow states. Um, it's, it's coming from positive psychology um, or eudaimonia. Um, so a state of happiness, you know, a state of uh, excitement, um, 
Jason Silva is talking a lot about about mm. this kind of uh, uplifting state. And I've I've recognized that can happen, you know, many times. Not only you know it happened to me, you know, a handful of times since I was born, right? But suddenly, if if I had you know gone entered into these these uh, spaces um, where I'm leaving sort of the subjectivity a bit behind and dive into what's called intersubjectivity. Um, there's a there's a researcher named Hannah Diega. Um, this goes actually way back, uh, and we didn't even know that we created something like that. <laughs> well, we did this. Um, she she did some research on something called inactive intersubjectivity. Um, there are fascinating research papers on um, how actually you know the dynamics change in a space, and you really create these 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 energies um, that help people to get connected get enabled and sort of come out of their shell, right? So it's not not the thing you see on the social media space where you put on a mask, mm. right? Um, you're somewhere else, you're someone else, you pretend to be someone else. Um, this all blocks, you know, a lot of the, uh, the, the energies. But if you can get rid of this and say, okay, it's me, it's actually about myself in this space and I'm connecting with other people, you create a whole different kind of energy field. Yes. And I don't want to make it too esoteric here because... Um, what the research has, you know, done with uh, the intersubjectivity, um, and and an, another another musician actually, I don't know if you know Brian Eno uh, coined the term "senius," um, uh, and that's how we actually named uh, our our little venture there, uh, "senius" from mm-hmm. seeing and "senius" from the term that uh, Brian Eno coined. So "senius" is sort of the the thing that happens if you bring together a bunch of people in a common space, um, and the interaction that then unfold create a certain, you know, connectiveness inside that space. Um, and he coined that senius. And that's, I think, the same what Hannah Diego is talking about in an active intersubjectivity. Um, and that, to me, is now like uh, the attractor of, of everything, right? I want to get into these spaces where you can fulfill this, where you can have these these uh, these uh, intersubjective experiences, right? Um, and uh, and be yourself, right? As, as you said earlier, right? It's, 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 how do you how do you create these memories and why do they why are they created because they are connected to some of these emotions they're connected to some of these bindings to other human beings around you in these spaces and to me it's it's possible right i see that because a lot of people say oh this is an online space you can't do anything you need to need face to face right otherwise nothing gets done but i realize i recognize that actually you can get a lot of things done in these online spaces and create similar experiences than you do create uh, in in real face to face meetings yeah totally and and that's been my experience too i i one of in my one of my previous incarnations i helped create an online community for a company called buddhist geeks where we would talk about you know contemplative practice and its intersection with technology and we would yes, use yes. video calls to do it and Many of the memories that I've created from my participation on the internet are from that period of time when we were really just experiencing each other. And there was a kind of practice of presencing within the community. And we were using video um, through the internet to, to, until we were talking from all over the world. But uh, there was a sense of shared space. And we were able to be touched together in a way that just... I don't know is really possible in the current constructs of, you know, and as we even unfold this uh, sort of conversation, it's like, I hesitate to even call them social technologies, right? Like there's something, there's some (laughs) way of connecting, but, you know, I wouldn't uh, conflate 
our current world of social technologies and the kinds of connections that they generate with what might be possible as we begin to open up what I think it is that you're speaking to, which is the kind of more rich social experience that, yes, is technologically mediated, but is still attempting to generate this kind of, as you say, intersubjectivity or, or we space or whatever it is. And, and you know, if yes. we can actually figure that out together as a, as, a, as a human society, that's a game changer because that kind of social space really uh, makes a big difference in our lives. It has throughout history and the absence of it right now is making a, a, a tragic difference in our lives. And, you know, the idea that we could beam those kinds of experiences to anybody with, you know, a video, like, you know, with a, that's, that's on the internet is, is incredibly uh, interesting, fascinating and provocative. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, that describes pretty much the mission I'm on, Daniel. That's that's it, mm. right? Um, that's that's really the crux of it. Um, to me, it's important, you know, to see that not everybody is on that journey, right? And uh, we have to bring more people on this journey, more people to realize there's more out there than uh, social media. There's better ways to connect with each other, right? And it's it's sort of a, a relearning and unlearning that needs to happen, right? Um, a reorientation to say, hey, let's use these technologies for better things, right? You can do so much more with it. We have, I mean, if you think about that, today you can you can recreate uh, a Facebook experience with your own little tools that you just cobble together, right, at home on your on your computer. Um, that's extremely powerful technology. You know, that's really not the the issue anymore. Um, it's really now to get this understanding, get this uh, this this inviting people into these spaces to go on these journeys together, right? Um, that to me is uh, is is the work right now to see what kind of uh, ways can we you know figure out to say yes, hey, we made a decision together. Um, we more or less agreed to a path forward. Let's go there. You know, let's go. To me, again, this is the 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 metaphor of a, of a climb, right? Let's go to the next sense making plateau, right? Now we're on on camp one. We've reached that. Let's celebrate that. Let's pause here for a moment, right, and celebrate that uh, that event, and then see, you know, reorient yourself again, right, and see where are you now, right? Look around your landscape, right? It's it's kind of a see the picture as a fitness landscape, right? You're better off than you were before. What has changed, right? What is better? But then also look for other people who are still more in the deeper trenches, right? In the valley, and they're looking up the mountain, see where did they go? Where did they go, right? Let's let's find ways for them, you know, to you know pathways, sort of roped paths, as John likes to call this, um, up the mountain, right? So they can hold on to something like an affordance, right? like a handle, mm -hmm. like a like a mm -hmm. rope, um, that allows them to also climb up and reach that better sense making plateau. That to me is so so important to sort of uh, begin, you know, broaden the conversations that we're having in these beautiful. Spaces. And, and you know, I, I also want to presence a kind of um, uh, other trend in our uh, technological culture around these sort of distributed ledger technologies that are opening up. It seems a kind of space for experimentation with new forms of organizing and coordinating human activity. Right. And so if there is right. this kind of, I think you said like roped path, I imagine that it's likely to be involved with these emerging 
technological systems that are also seeming to be vectoring towards creating new methods of working together. And and maybe that's a good time then, you know, in, in the presence of this trend uh, to bring in the this social ledger that you've been working on, yes. um, which is it fair to say it's it's a kind of attempt to create a roped path for collective sense making and expeditions, or how would how do you tend to describe it in a context like this? Yes, yes, that's that's a good way to to put it. Um, the way I describe it is it's kind of a, a a meta protocol, sort of a meta platform that operates across different spectrums, across different bodies that are out there. Um, and um, so, so to take you a little bit step back, uh, where, where we started this, um, that was uh, back uh, with uh, my my latest cooperative venture, it's the Digital Life Collective, um, with uh, Philip Sheldrake and and you mentioned Christina Bowen earlier on, right? Um, so, so that uh, uh, venture had created a need for um, coordinating a lot of things inside the collective, right? And we started to create these uh, circles. You know, they were a bit oriented towards uh, towards um, sociocratic circles and we needed a way to sort of register who was in these circles um and uh, simply assigning some some basic roles you know you are the lead you are you're a member you are an actor you are a scribe um, or link role and uh, we wanted to record these things um in 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 some kind of a place where we can share that uh, with others so out of this came the thinking of okay now we recorded something in in a what we can call a ledger right and then we thought okay why don't we also start recording some of these social activities mm. inside the space right and uh, then we thought okay is it a ledger there's something called a financial ledger out there and then we started to sort of compare the things you know a financial ledger what what it does is records a financial transaction right um, this is a, a simple asset, a transaction from A to B, and this is end of story. Um, what we thought is, okay, uh, what if we do a similar thing with uh, social interactions and say, here's actually a path of uh, the contributions that you provided to that space, right? And just hold it somewhere, you know, provide a way to say, yes, I actually did that. I contributed that um, to, to that event. And out of this came the whole sort of suddenly you, know, you have the situations where a lot of pieces come suddenly together and set something bigger in motion that you, that's like you hardly control this anymore because then other people see that and then they want to move it forward in, in all kinds of directions. So, so what we've been doing now is to say, okay, if this goes beyond sort of a, a financial ledger, you know, and we sort of beginning to see sort of the counterpart to that, which is a, a social ledger, which actually could pretty much describe um, what we term today a social capital piece, right? So we have financial capital, but we try, we're kind of struggling with what is social capital, right? Is it goodwill? You know, is it some, uh, you know, some certificates, some things that your organization has uh, being become awarded to? Um, there's, there's really nothing good out there that describes that. And uh, to me, a social ledger would begin uh, to describe this as, hey, there's a way to record sort of the social transactions we had inside a conversation we had, let's say, right? And you can then take this information and say, okay, we, we, we now know you were involved, you contributed to something that maybe eventually became bigger, right? And maybe created some value um, out there for other people to take on. Right, and with that value, um, you're actually able to still trace back to who was part of this. Right, 
um, who actually contributed at that time to create this thing of value that you put out there, um, which you can call a social object. You mentioned that earlier, right? So something that attracts people and it's, it's very tangible. It's a thing. It's a service. Um, it's, it's a tool set, right? Um, but you still have that connection back to the people who actually participated. That to me is so, so important. That changed my whole notion of what, what is, what is flow? What is, what is a, a transaction inside a, a social interaction? Um, because if you, you know, take your hard currency today, um, you, you have pick, take your, you pay something, you know, pay, pay with your dollar bill or pound and it's gone, right? There, there's no more history. Um, you paid, you got the thing that you paid for, nothing left, right? So it's over. What I want to do with the social ledger is to sort of keep that connection and say, we'll actually use that service. And there's still, there's a connection back to the people who originally, um, created that service, right? Um, and who participated that and, and they can still be, you know, way into the future be rewarded for yes, that. Yeah. Right. So, so you can still say, yes, you were part of that way back when. Um, and maybe that encourages you, you know, as, as a minimum kind of motivates you to do more with this, right. To, to improve it, you know, to build, um, to, to, to make it better. Um, yeah, I just want to kind of t- double click on how significant this is because one, um, you know, there's there's parallels to I think feminist critiques of capitalism, whereas like you know why is it that women's work doesn't get valued, right? And partly the yes, answer yeah. to that I think and is that well it's hard to measure. Right. Or, or if we're being kind, part of the answer is that it's hard to measure. There's probably also, there's also forces that don't want to measure it and don't want to value it. But, you know, uh, much of the work that gets done today doesn't have a ledger to take account for it such that we would be able to value it. And there's a way in which just the act of measurement and accounting starts to create new collective sense of what is and is not valuable that then become actionable and motivating as you're speaking about. And then, you know, we can imagine all kinds of outcomes, but you're, you're pointing to a very like, uh, uh, core piece of the kind of architecture that needs to be present. I think in anything that is worth calling, a kind of uh, uh, inclusive collective uh, that's attempting to achieve a common purpose. Well, we we want to make sure that we really account for and incentivize all the diversities of effort and work that go into achieving that purpose. And and in in today's world, typically the kind of things, the kind of interactions, the kind of part- forms of participations that you're mentioning simply don't really get valued. Exactly right. Exactly right, Daniel. That's such a nice way to put that. Right. I do want to bring this diversity and this creativity into this space and find a way to actually say, yes, you did something here. You offered a small piece here and it moved everyone forward, right? So the whole wave uh, moved up a level and we got there. Um, it also reaches into another interesting area. Um, uh, one of the, the team members on Social Ledger is Jim Whitescarver who was uh, there way back when the internet was created, uh, you know, with the HTML protocol. Um, and uh, he, he looks at things uh, like um, your identity, who you are, um, and how can you prove your identity. And uh, he connected the two pieces and said, hey, actually, um, you are what you do. You know, mm. it's your activities that, that sort of begins to outline who you are really as a person, right? It's not, I mean, it's good you have a passport and you have an ID card, right? But that's not really telling much about you, right? 
um, if you want to see more about the person, what he or she does, well, you have to see a lot more of what she does, right? And what has she done in the past? Where has she contributed to, right? And all of these pieces can also be now recorded in a, in a, in a personal kind of ledger, right? Um, and, and that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking at now, um, to see, yes, um, this is, again, this is, uh, this is about data, right? So we want to be careful here. This is not centralized data. This is uh, data that needs to be distributed, right? And, and for this, you mentioned earlier, you know, these new, um, blockchain based technologies, this R chain out there, there's a hollow chain out there. They're all trying to build these, um, technical the infrastructure pieces that are so so important for this right you want to store it somewhere but you don't want to give it to a large organization right you don't want to give it to the big guys out there and then they process your data and and uh, convert it into dollars right that you never see again um for and for that is and again we're at a junction now where suddenly these pieces are coming together right so we're overlapping and we see a space now that's opening up where you can apply these kind of technologies to these kinds of uh, approaches and models. Um, and it fits so well together. It sometimes feels like, whoa, we just, we had to come to this space somehow, right? We arrived here now. Now, what do we do next, right? We're going to do something out of, out of this get, get together and, uh, the, the different groups and uh, people that are working on these kind of technologies. Yeah. It does really just feel like it's a, a kind of like, I mean, already a kind of emerging collective intelligence symphony that has brought us to this point where now we can add it, play together in a different octave, right? Like that the these these pieces that people have been holding and spending their lifetimes discovering now can be just kind of like, oh, this is the perfect piece here, you know, click. Oh, good. Okay, now this whole thing becomes much more interesting, and and uh, you know, I mean. I don't. Even, I don't even know where to 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 take the conversation from here, other than like, what, what? So this is unfolding right now. Like you're building the social ledger, and it is going to be a kind of um, infrastructure. Your temp- more or less an infrastructure agnostic kind of pattern. Yes, of accounting for social interactions that could be plugged into Holochain or Archain or uh, any other kind of uh, uh, infrastructure like that. Is that the intention? Yes, exactly. Um, so this is agnostic towards the infrastructure, towards the back end, but it's also agnostic towards the front end. Um, because I realized, um, we don't want to recreate yet another platform, right? Um, there's so many platforms out there. Instead, we want to see how we can connect to these existing platforms and existing tool sets that are out there. So what the social ledger does is just simply connect via, um, you know, using a technical term here, via the APIs of these tools. Um, and then just present them in, in a different way. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a user interface issue, um, to say, uh, how, do, what's the best way to actually sort things out for yourself, right? On, on a screen, you know, on a square space that you have there, um, and create something that's digestible, um, that is dynamic, that can change and adjust itself. So we, we, we looked at, uh, different ways of presenting that information. And uh, to me, again, this is a very agnostic piece because you can present it in a table, you can present it in a VR environment if you want to, dive into VR and present it on a wall somewhere, right? Um, or you can present it in what I've done with the social ledger in the first incarnation is um, use a holonic chart. So you can dive into the circles, dive into circles, and then see what's inside the circles and then zoom in and out, right? So you fly into the landscape and you zoom out of the landscape and begin to understand uh, the whole picture, right? You see, you see the whole picture of that. 
Um, so that that's just another representation of uh, the data set we, we are putting together here to allow teams now to navigate um, the different landscapes that are yes, out there. Yes, and so just to emphasize again how, how potentially radical this is, because what this does is sort of undermine a form of, uh, let's say, authoritarianism or patriarchy by which certain types of contributions go unmentioned uh, due to, you know, typically, um, you know, uh, unseen dynamics of power that allow actors to basically say like, oh, no, this that wasn't relevant, right? And to kind of, uh, in, in if we use the metaphor, like kind of fudge the ledger, right, of, of what was a part <laughs> of creating a social object, like, say, um, you know, a company or a document within a company or whatever it is, you know, I imagine that, you know, it, it, it's fair to say that, that, you know, Facebook itself is a collection of social objects that we've lumped into a container called Facebook, right? I mean, it's not like these are kind <laughs> yes. of, you know, uh, limited, these distinctions fall apart at a certain level. But if we can actually take account for the contributions, we, we undermine some of these very problematic, and I think anti-human kind of uh, modes of behaving with each other, like within the architecture of our interaction. So it's not like a moral argument. It's just a different way of working together that, you know, by the nature of its construction makes it that it's hard to do that kind of shady stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It exposes, uh, on the contrary, it, it really exposes the shady stuff. Because if you're an actor and you see immediately the kind of intentions that you bring with you, right? Again, it's, it's sort of making up your, the, the contours of your identity become very clear, very fast in these, uh, deeply connected spaces. And that to me is a beautiful thing because then you're immediately sort yourself out, right? Um, if it happens, you know, that you have a bad actor in these spaces, well, it's obvious how this, this, this person sits there. And then, um, you can do something about it, right? So it becomes obvious versus the thing that's so much hidden inside organizations today, right? All of these hidden channels, these vertical channels, right? These boxes you sit in, there's nothing open. It's just complete opaque, right? Um, versus the stuff you can actually do if you open up these channels and see what people are working on, where the motivation sits, where the energy sits, and then support that, right? Go in there and say, hey, here's a card deck. Um, using sort of these card decks as a met another metaphor here, right? Um, to get into a governance conversation, right? Something I recently did for the um, uh, Digital Life Collective. So create a, a simple deck, a metaphorical deck of cards that allows you to say, okay, let's play these cards. And then suddenly we have a way to self-organize, to self-govern ourselves, right? Just following, you know, I've created five cards here that uh, describe sort of the basic rules of the game. Use them, and then suddenly you feel like, hey, there are people playing this game. So you're sort of in a playful space. This isn't work alone anymore, right? I have this uh, triple triple Venn diagram um, between you know working and learning and uh, a playful space, play. So work, play, learn. And what you're trying to do here is sort of intersect the three, right? So it's not only about work. You know, you make money and uh, you feed your family. But uh, it's also about learning. So what do you learn while you're working on this? And then you also want to have fun while doing that, right? Is that possible? Can you get to that center of this uh, triple Venn diagram, right? That's sort of the, this space you want to operate in, right? And to me, yes, we, we see. Again, we are at a juncture now where we can enter that space, right? And uh, do something that's really meaningful 
it's really fun and it 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 also makes some money because uh, you create value for for people out there. Yeah, and it seems like there's so many forces converging now um, that are pointing towards a future where work does become this coming together of play, like you know purposeful effort, shared effort, and like learning together. And that that does also then chart a kind of path forward in our larger kind of context of complexity and, uh, uh, you know, the need to adapt more quickly, right? Because it, it, to the degree that, you know, um, we can't play together and be fluid and discover the path forward using everybody, we're probably going to step off the edge of a cliff to use to use your expedition metaphor, right? Like we need to leverage the intelligence of every participant in order to figure out the path forward. And I think, again, you're providing a key piece of architecture to make that happen. Yes, I'm trying, trying, trying very hard to not go over yeah. the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, even just speaking personally, like, I mean, I've had such a lifelong ambivalence towards work. You know, and, and it started in school where it seemed like learning was perhaps associated with work, but certainly not associated with play, you know, if we're using that Venn diagram. And, right. and, and, and that so much of work culture has become uh, devoid of the human element in a way that really feels like it would be conducive to bringing me to life and to really being at the very least enjoyable. And so to imagine a future in which work is actually fun is a radical idea that I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's quite radical. <laughs> yes. Think about that. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly, Daniel. But, but, you know, what's holding us back, right? And you get to make, if, if that's such a radical idea, such a positive idea that people actually strive wanting to be there, right? In this kind of thrivable space. Why hasn't this been done yet? What, what's holding us back? And then you get into all these other discussions on these different power structures, right? And extractive economies we are finding ourselves in and uh, trying to break out of this. Um, it's still it's still a journey, right? I still uh, quite ways uh to get into into that kind of uh, space where you create these, um, uh, John calls them autopoietic systems, right? Where you suddenly create independent spaces that begin to live, right? Begin to attract members and uh, support, sustain themselves, right? Um, and uh, they become quite independent from the uh, big institutions that are out there. Um, and uh, begin to thrive. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and I think it's 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 well to say that we're at the very early days of this, and we have been for some time, right? Like it's, uh, and I think you your life is a demonstration of the fact that this is like slow a slowly revealing itself to us possibility for the future of humanity. And I, you know, like Jordan Greenhall uses the term uh, self organizing collective intelligence. He, he thinks of them as kind of like yes, entities uh, that will exist in the evolutionary landscape that are a collectives of human intelligences that, you know, will, will sink or swim dependent on their capacity to leverage the collective, right? To, to actually fully access the creativity, ingenuity, and sense-making technologies of the individuals and then share that with the collective. And, you know, it's like really kind of once you start to sink into it, it's quite a mind-blowing 
future. And yet it, it does have this kind of air of inevitability, just as all these tools start to come together. And there are like frontiers people like, like yourself who are like getting like it, it's exciting to me already, but then to hear that you're excited about it as somebody who I imagine has had their idealism <laughs> kind of smashed upon the rocks of various uh, realities, you know, <laughs> that you're excited about it too. I mean, it's like we're, we may be on the cusp of something that's pretty, pretty different and interesting. And, and, you know, I, I, so, you know, we, we, we've sketched out some of the architecture, the technological architecture of this. And then I want to kind of like go back into the human dimension, right? So like, uh, what, yes. you know, and that's another thread that's been weaving through is like, how do we use these technologies to get us to be human together? And I'm curious, like, what, what have you discovered around how we be human together? Uh, you know, I guess using technology, but even not in ways that do tend to allow this collectivity to emerge. Right. Um, so, so that goes back to this uh, sort of notion of relearning reorientation because if you invite people into these spaces there's a there's a natural sort of protective mechanism setting in right to say i i really am not sure what am i doing here is it safe for me right uh and uh, what do you allow me to do what 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 can i reveal about myself right so so for that to happen you create these um these kind of psychological safe spaces Right, where you are suddenly realizing, recognizing, yes, that's a bunch of people I know. Um, maybe I haven't met them in real life. That's that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sensing through the conversation I'm having in these spaces um, that they're quite aligned. They're friendly folks, right? Um, and uh, I can begin to sort of open up, right? Tell them a bit more about myself. You know, um, getting into as as you did uh, so often into these video conversations to actually see them on the screen, and then you get another level of intensity here, right? You see the emotional expressions and how they react to your ideas and your thoughts. Well, okay, that opens up your bandwidth even a mm. bit more, right? So. Um, you can actually process. It's a funny thing. If you just use the conscious mind, you only have a couple of bits, you know, comparable bits <laughs> that go into your, into your consciousness. If you use a much broader spectrum of all your senses, right? Um, you can inhale, you can, you know, immerse yourself into a much broader spectrum and, and, uh, get much deeper into these relationships. And I think we're just at the beginning now to say, to see how that unfolds in these spaces, right? Um, and uh, even, I mean, technologies are still keeping up. It's not the end, you know, of all that uh, we have these spaces now, but we're moving fast into even more immersive spaces, right? And uh, I want to distinguish here between um, spaces that take you away from reality, right, and sort of uh, get you into these escape reality settings, right? Um, all of these uh, VR games that... Uh, uh, set you off into a whole different arena with, uh, you know, a certain mission or goal you have to accomplish here versus other spaces who try to bring back sort of the humanity of, of it, right? Um, and, and I see some, some of this happening now in, um, very primitive VR spaces where you can actually track sort of the, the, uh, move just as simple as the hand movements, right? Or your head moves around and you can see that in real time on the screen. So that gives you a signal, right? That tells you a lot that has a lot of information mm -hmm. in there, right? Um, that your unconscious brain can process and, uh, understand sort of the bigger picture of, uh, who are you talking to? What is happening in that space? Right. So I think we're still far, far away from technology that's immersive enough to say, yes, this really touches upon the human side of things, um, versus just the technology 
technology, right? To, to present something on the screen. And then that's the end of the story. And you have to make up the rest of the story in your own mm-hmm. brain. Right? Yeah. And I mean, it, it gets into this, this, one of the themes of this show is, is, uh, you know, and we talked about, I talked about this with one of the founders of Holochain is the way in which the kind of like the way in which our technologies ask us to see each other in certain ways and just becoming more aware of that. Like, you know, uh, there's a human that you see through Facebook and that human is typically limited to like text on a screen and a profile, right? And then there's a human that you encounter in a spoken conversation like we're having right now. And there's a human that you encounter in video. And then there's going to be humans that we encounter uh, in virtual space, which maybe will you know, head towards an asymptote of, of being actually like, you know, more or less real, you know, as we start to add on like, uh, uh, what, like haptic feedback suits. And I, I read an article about a company that was creating like a smell in, in that space. I don't know how interested I am in that, depending on who I'm with, but you know, uh, in any case, like we're working on it, you know, we're working on leveraging all of our different sense doors to increase the bandwidth of what it means to be human together in so-called digital spaces. And like, uh, you know, but 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 in any case, we're not there yet. And I think that the thing, though, that uh, is useful to pull out, though, of the trajectory that we're on is to be aware of and even skeptical of what the technologies that we are using are asking us to see each other as, right? Like, are we being asked to see each other just as like an avatar and a 200 character something like that is a pretty, you know, not that we shouldn't participate in those systems, but just be aware that 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 is the way in which human beings are being performed in that space. And be curious, like you're saying, like, how is it that we can expand the bandwidth? How is it that we can actually get a deeper, richer taste of each other, even if we're a continent away? Absolutely, Daniel, that's, that's so, so important. Um, So, so for me, it's, um, uh, technology, you can see that, um, as, a, as a means, you know, to actually amplify yourself, right? Um, what I'm trying to do with, uh, the Digital Life Collective is sort of, uh, create a cognitive feedback loop between the technology and the participants in that system. So it actually can elevate you, can help you, can support you. So it's kind of man with machine, man and machine, not, not the notion of, well, the machine is over there. Um, you know, it's only going to extract my data or eventually it's going to kill me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> no, that's not the future we want to envision here. Um, but the possibility is there that you can actually utilize these technologies in ways that amplify your thinking, right? That amplify the way we connect with each other, right? Um, even as simple things as bots, right? If you look at bots today, um, they're pretty annoying, right? Um, they pop up in too many spaces that they have nothing to say, right? But you can sort of redirect these bots to say, hey, let's give them some rules to say, how do you facilitate a meeting, for example, right? And then a bot can now take on a role of, um, okay, I'm the meeting facilitator. I'll make sure that everybody gets a voice in this meeting as one of the rules, right? And then the bot could actually step in and say, hey, Daniel hasn't said a lot in this mm. meeting. I want to hear his opinion, right? Um, so that kind of background process, um, I can see that easily now merging into these human uh, conversations that we have. Mm. So, so take out the tedious task of someone taking, you know, scripts and making sure that the meeting rolls along, program that into some kind of a, a bot function, right? And, uh, and then focus on, um, the meeting itself, right? The, the content and what people want to get out of the meeting, right? Um, the, again, we are at the beginning of this, this whole new, you know, emergence of technology to support that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just had a 
conversation with person Richard Bartlett, who who works with kind of coaching decentralized organizations to work better better together. And one of the things that we talked about, which was which is actually, you know, the more I think about it, one of the things that makes me most optimistic about the future is the way in which these trend lines and technologies seem to be inviting us into a deeper relationship with ourselves, a more complex relationship with ourselves in order to participate in these collectives. Like you can't abstract yourself from some of the ways that you create suffering. Uh, if you're going to be like a valuable player on these expeditions, right? Like you need to be kind of, you need to, you need to engage in practices and forms of self-growth and learning and transformation just in order to play the game, it seems, increasingly. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and there's there's also some things good good things happening in the space. Um, there's one book uh, called the Deliberate uh, Developmental Organization mm-hmm. um, that looks at some of the basic uh, personality traits and behaviors of adults in organizations, right? Because organizations usually don't look at this stuff, right? That gets sidetracked. You know, this is you conform somewhere, right? But what if we develop these traits, right? But if we actually look at people and say, "Hey, there's some some things you can learn, become become a quote unquote adult here, right? Know how to interact with other people, know when it's time to stop, right? Know when know it's time to help other people who are behind, right? Um, there's a lot of you know behavioral norms that we can uh, amplify here and, and bring into these uh, into these conversations. Yeah, yeah, bring in and then and then the the, the really cool twist. It seems that that the collectives that are able to access this stuff. I mean, I, I, I'd, be, or I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. It seems like they're uh, poised to outcompete the companies and collectives that fail to actualize these ideas. What we see today is uh, there's, there's a big fragmentation happening, right? Uh, I see this almost as a response to the big centralization that happened. And now the question of whether that was the right uh, turn we took here. Um, so suddenly a lot of groups splitting off and saying, oh, we know better. Um, there's a better way. Good. You know, do, let's do something and, uh, and, and split off the main track and try something new. So to me, we are sort of in, in a period where you see this happen thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand times with people coming up with, you know, new ideas to work together in these spaces, right? New protocols to, to actually get something done, right? Um, and, to me, this is a good thing. Maybe this it's a necessary thing that this happened. Um, and to me, the next step is then, okay, now have to we have to go back and see, let's connect the different pieces, mm-hmm. right? Let's see where these patterns that now emerge, because that's one of the only ways to create patterns is you have to have some big complexity um, and, uh, and a lot of interaction in, in a huge space. And out of these, you can start to see new patterns arising, right? And that to me is uh, what I'm cur- constantly looking out for, right? Is there a group? Is there a collective? Is there, you know, uh, someone who detects and senses these new patterns? Can we formalize them, right? Can we make those more explicit and then wrap them into something um, as simple as a, as a card, right? To say, hey, here's a pattern A, you know, why don't you go try use that? It has worked in this context, right? It seems promising. Let's go ahead and do that. So, so a lot of um, sort of experimentation comes out of all of these activities that we see in these spaces. Um, it can be, of course, very overwhelming, right? I, I don't know about your, you know, information consumption habits, mm. right? <laughs> but I'm trying to, you know, tap into 
you know, I have a few hundred blogs I'm, I'm using with RSS feeds and, and lots of other spaces and communities. It's, it's of course, extremely difficult to mm. keep track of all of these happenings, mm. right? Um, these ideas that are out there. Um, but you sort of can adjust yourself. You know, the funny thing is, to me, I see this as, a, as an activity I do every morning. I sort of jump into the stream. Again, a metaphor, right? <laughs> I go swimming. I go out there, um, enjoy what's, what's coming, you know, what's floating down the stream, um, picking up some pieces here that are floating by, knowing that when they are very important, they will come by again, right? <laughs> right. So, so you adjust yourself, right? And, uh, and uh, you don't put yourself under pressure to say, oh, my God, where's the next deadline? Where's the next milestone here? Uh, I have to complete that, right? Um, it's more like going out there and sort of taking it in, right? It's it's, it's it's very Buddhist notion of being present in these spaces, right? Taking it in, get a sense of what's what's the narrative currently out there, right? Um, and try to align yourself with the narrative, and then see if you can jump in there and uh, offer your own voice into into these uh, streams. Yeah, there's, and I think one of the other things I, th- I I hear you pointing to a little bit is you know there's a lot like I've been playing in this space too for some years now, and there's just especially recently with all the the kind of crypto projects there's just so much activity like it's impossible to keep track of which is beautiful there's a kind of cambrian explosion happening right now and maybe even you know multiple cambrian explosions and you know i, <laughs> right, I think right. it, there are there's good reason to suspect that we're at the beginning of a curve of cambrian explosions you know to the degree that we continue <laughs> to be humans together and i i increasingly feel like you yeah you have to you know, sense in a little bit, but then just take a step back and sort of trust that the right information will come to you when it needs to come. And that moreover, that we can participate in collectives that help us make sense of things uh, in a more sophisticated way. Like we can find ourselves in different groups that, you know, just reliably make sense out of the world with us, um, for us or with us uh, in ways that, give us a kind of uh, advantage and don't require us to kind of get our feet wet in the stream as much because it is such a, or it can be a, you know, you can get swept away. I know I can, um, you know, depending on, on the, the, the uh, rapidity of the current and, uh, you know, whether <laughs> I have something to hold on to. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you said it right there, um, Daniel. It's, it's, uh, uh, the participation, right? You become a participant. You're not only a consumer of these things, right? As soon as you're a consumer and stop there, then you automatically shift it into a stream that uh, you can't control anymore, right? This is when you're off track and when you suddenly find yourself in these bubble spaces, right? That enforce certain ideologies um, that you can really uh, not, it's hard to break out of these spaces any longer. But as an active participant, you know, as, as a critical participant in these conversations, you can. And you find, you know, the funny thing is, you find all of these open doors suddenly with friendly folks who certainly, you know, allow you in and uh, engage you in a conversation and you immediately figure out what is their, you know, environment like? Um, what, what are they after? And, uh, and see if uh, there's some resonance, right? Again, that, that's another term I'm using very often is, is this notion of resonation, right? That does, you talk to someone, you feel there's, there's some 
wavery thing in the air, right? <laughs> it works, you know, it, it aligns with what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what, what I want to take myself into, which direction I want to take myself. And uh, that's a quality that you also sort of learn just by participation. And that to me is the important thing is, is you do have to get up from your couch and begin to participate, right? We do want to see you there. And that's beyond going to say like this, like that, you know, nice, nice. <laughs> it has to be a little bit more, right? Uh, it has to be a little bit more to say, yes, I'm here. I, I can see that uh, you voice an opinion that resonates with us, right? So it's this reciprocity, really, right? That immediately attracts then people's attention and then gets into these energy cycles, right? That, um, that uh, move conversations forward. Yeah, I think that's really huge. I, I mean, I know speaking for myself, I spent most of my life just consuming information and, and there's been a real shift in my relationship to the world of information and, and social technology and everything since I started this project, right? Since I have started like putting myself out there, getting my skin in the game a little bit, that mode of participation just really changes the landscape of the way that you participate everywhere else. And actually, it changes your identity, right? And this gets back to this idea yes, of yes. yourself being, uh, you know, mapped on to the ways that you participate or the actions that you take in your life. And, you know, I think it might be, it, it, I think what, what I'm hearing is that if you are hoping to kind of be a part of this emerging world of inclusive collective intelligence communities, that it's a good idea just to start participating, whatever that means for you. Right. Like just <laughs> right. do something that's beyond a like, like, you know, produce things, create things, play. And that will just have a natural movement of itself that it attracts certain people that will then help you take the next step. And then, you know, it, it, it does seem that there's this kind of, I don't know, this, this movement of life that you enter into once you stop being a consumer and start being a participant and a creator. That's a beautiful way to put it, Daniel. Right, right. Um, and you can start small, right? You find the circle that uh, is comfortable, you know, that's at your level, that, uh, that where you reach out to your friends and family, to your folks that uh, um, are working on similar things, and then you expand from there. Um, you always want to have this, this adjacent possibility, you know, as one interesting term. So find something that uh, you haven't considered before, uh, attach onto that adjacent thing, and then suddenly you realize that thing that's out there that you just attached yourself to is reaching out to a thousand other things. Mm. And you suddenly explore a whole new landscape that you even haven't considered before, or you even haven't seen before, because you haven't climbed that uh, sense-making plateau, right? Um, it was just not visible to you, right? Um, but, but try it, right? Go out there and find, and find that adjacent space and uh, explore that as well. And that will open up to the next adjacent space, and the next one, and the next one. <laughs> Next one, right? The door is the door to the door is the door, right? It just keeps and it keeps going, and that, and that's and that's I think beautiful. I think that's a beautiful place to kind of bring this this conversation to a close. Like th that, yeah, this is this is maybe best seen as a call to or an invitation to a new uh, a new relationship with technology and, and, and participation more generally. And, and, uh, I, I thank you, Joachim, for kind of like being on the frontier of that exploration and for coming back down and, and sharing a little bit of what you've learned with me and with this audience. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. I enjoyed this very much. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Matt.